0: You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Today's scripture is from the book of Daniel, and it picks up in the middle of a dramatic story. The king's advisors had tricked him into punishing his favorite servant, Daniel. The scripture says, The king caved in and ordered Daniel brought and thrown into the lion's den. But the king said to Daniel, Your God, to whom you are so loyal, is going to get you out of this. A stone slab was placed over the opening of the den. The king sealed the cover with his signet ring and the signet rings of all his nobles, fixing Daniel's fate. The king then went back to his palace. He refused supper. He couldn't sleep. He spent the night fasting. At daybreak, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. As he approached the den, he called out anxiously, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve so loyally, saved you from the lions? The word of God for the people of God. It's time for another campfire story from the Bible. Will you join me in an attitude of prayer? Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. How many of you have heard the story of Daniel from the Bible? Some portion of it, maybe at some point. Okay, quite a few of you, but not everybody. Daniel's story takes place in an age of kings and conquests, in a time when kings were short-tempered and short-sighted and power-hungry. And Daniel's story intersects with three different kings across his lifetime, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who conquered Jerusalem and Israel, And then King Nebuchadnezzar's son, King Belshazzar, also of Babylon. And then the third king is King Darius the Mede, sometimes associated with Persia. Three kings. And the thread that ties Daniel's entire story together is that Daniel relied on his faith and God never left his side. So what you should know about Daniel and the first king, King Nebuchadnezzar, is that Daniel was from the land of Judah. He was a Jew. He was from Israel. And in his lifetime, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, an ancient empire to the east of Israel, invaded. And they took over Jerusalem. They desecrated the temple. They took 10,000 people out of Jerusalem and Israel to bring them back to Babylon. And these 10,000 people were those who were young, those who were strong, those who had skills, those who had royal lineage. Daniel was one of the ones taken, one of the boys taken, most likely a teenager when he left home based on how long that he lived. And Daniel was particularly identified as somebody with the skills and the heritage to become a servant in the palace, one of King Nebuchadnezzar's own personal servants. But to do that, he had to go through a three-year training course of what I would call assimilation. He had to be taught Babylonian language and customs and literature. And as part of this series of classes, he was given a new name, as were All of the men who went through this training. Babylonian names, taking from them their heritage from Jerusalem. Now Daniel didn't have much recourse. If you were chosen to go to Babylon, you were just taken. If you were chosen to be a servant in the palace, well, you said yes. The only thing he could do is he refused to eat the food. The king had offered food from his own table, rich food, wine and meat. And Daniel said, well, I'll take vegetables, please. And he was a little bit nervous. He thought maybe the top steward would either deny him his request or kick him out of the program or at worst punish him or some other horrible thing. And instead, the servant said, well, I think this is going to make you weak. I don't think this will set you up well to be a servant in the palace. And he said, but I'm willing to give it a try, Daniel, if that's what you'd like to do. And Daniel said, yes, I would like to eat vegetables. And by the way, I've convinced several of my friends to eat vegetables only as well. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the Babylonians thought that Daniel, after eating vegetables for an appointed amount of time, would be weaker than the rest, but in fact he was strong, just as strong as anyone else, and we don't know if he refused to eat the food of the king's table because he thought it was like a bribe, or because he thought that food will be dedicated to foreign idols, maybe it was the only thing he could control, and he said, at least I can do this one thing, but Daniel stood on his convictions And his friends did too. And perhaps taking on that challenge strengthened his friends to take on an even larger challenge later on from Nebuchadnezzar. Regardless, Daniel relied on his faith. And God never left his side. Now what you need to know about the second king, King Bar-Sharazar, this story takes place on the last night of the Babylonian Empire, the eve of destruction of the empire, but they didn't know it at the time. But that's just to set the stage for all of us. And King Belshazzar threw this massive party and he invited all the nobility from across his entire empire. A thousand people were there, we're told. And they were drinking and they were eating and they were having a grand old time and King Belshazzar gets really drunk and he says, let's bring out the chalices. Because what you need to know is when the Babylonians conquered an empire, they didn't just take people power like they took Daniel and his friends. They also, of course, took wealth. They took money. They took sacred objects. When they uh, desecrated the temple in Jerusalem, they took all of the sacred things they could find in the temple and brought them back to Babylon. And normally when the Babylonians captured a foreign land, what they would do in particular is they would take statues and idols to the local gods and they would store them away underneath their own Babylonian idols as a sign of Babylon's in power. Look, even your gods are sitting underneath our gods. Well, the jewish people of course did not have any statues to their gods because rule number two of the ten commandments no graven images no idols so the babylonians couldn't find anything really like that and so what they grabbed instead were ceremonial chalices that people might have used to make offerings or to offer libations in the temple so they were still sacred artifacts and belsharazar says bring out the chalices and they fill them with wine And they start serving drink at this party from these sacred artifacts from the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And in my mind, it's like if somebody ransacked our sanctuary and took our brass cross and started serving a charcuterie board off of it at a party. It would be insulting. It would be humiliating. It's just a little bit mean-spirited as well. And Belshazzar doesn't care at all, and they're having a great party. And as they start to drink from these sacred chalices... I like to think a silence spread across the room and perhaps a chill went down some people's spines because a disembodied hand appeared in the room. This is in scripture, it's a ghost tale, I love it. A disembodied hand appeared and the finger of this hand begins to write on the plaster of the royal palace wall and it's writing words that nobody can read. A message that no one can understand and as you might imagine the king was terrified what is this creepy ghost hand doing what do these words mean and so right away the king said we need someone to interpret this message for us i will give whatever reward i can i'm going to give a fancy robe i'm going to give gold i'm going to give a position of power third in the kingdom and the queen luckily at this point says well hey i i know a guy daniel Daniel actually had interpreted multiple dreams for King Balsharazar's father, King Nebuchadnezzar. So he had done it before. The queen brings him in. Daniel refuses all of the gifts. No power for him, no robe, no position, no jewelry. And what he says is, you're not going to like what I have to say. He doesn't hold back, Daniel. He says... Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, he grew too proud, and that's what brought his downfall. We learn in scripture, King King Nebuchadnezzar actually lost his mind and ended up in the wilderness, and that's how King Belshazzar got into power in the first place. And then Daniel says, you know what? You too have grown too proud, drinking from the sacred vessels of the people that you've conquered. Your days are numbered. The days of your kingdom are numbered. Numbered. Now, one might think a king might lock somebody like Daniel up for delivering such a negative message, but in fact, the king accepts it. And that very night, the Babylonians were conquered by the Medes. And so Daniel's prophecy came true. Daniel could have been a little bit less direct. He could have chosen not to stand up to a king. He could have chosen to hold his tongue or say something more appeasing, but Daniel relied on his faith. And God never left his side. The third king that you need to know about in Daniel's story is King Darius the Mede. King Darius really liked Daniel. And right away, he appoints Daniel to a position of power, one of the higher-up chiefs in the nation, in the empire. And uh, the other people working with Daniel did not like that because here is this person who is not from Babylon, who is from a conquered nation, who has this other religion that's not the religion the Babylonians follow, and he's in power. And they can't find anything wrong with Daniel's professional work as a reason to oust him. There's nothing in the workplace where they can say, look at how he's fallen short here. And so instead, they turn to what makes him different, his religion. And they go to the king and they say, hey king, We've come up with this great idea. For 30 days, if anybody prays to anyone or anything other than you, I think we should punish them. Let's punish them by throwing them in a pit of lions. How does that sound? And by the way, king, let's make it so this is an irrevocable order. It can't be changed. It can't be removed. Let's do it. And the king said, okay, sounds great. Not thinking that one of his favorite servants, Daniel, would obviously be affected by this rule. And these fellow uh, power brokers, they know that Daniel prays every single day. In his house, he has an upper room and he opens the window and he prays near that window facing Jerusalem, the city that he has not set foot in for decades, the city that he will never see again, the city that grounds his heart in his faith. And he knows about the rule and he heads up to his room and he prays just like they knew he would and his co-workers come and find him just like they knew they would and they bring him to the king who immediately is remorseful and said, "Oh, I didn't mean for this rule to affect Daniel." Of course not king. And he says, "Well, I'm in a legal corner. What can I do? I'm the king, but I have to follow this rule which seems suspicious to me." And he puts him in the pit with the lions. And not only that, he puts a stone over the entrance and then he seals it with his signet ring, something that couldn't be copied by anybody else. And the signet rings of everybody else in his court, and so they've all signed off on this. If the stone is moved, they will know. And the king goes home that night and he can't eat and he can't sleep and he feels terrible and he's wrestling and as soon as the dawn breaks the next morning, he runs to the lion's den and he shouts out, Daniel! Has your God delivered you? And Daniel says, I'm okay. My faith, my God has brought me through. They take him out of the lion's den. He's untouched. He said, God sent an angel and closed their mouths and I have made it through the night. And the king is so impressed by Daniel's faith, by Daniel's God, that he makes a royal proclamation and he says, everyone needs to know that Daniel's God is the living God. Daniel's God is everlasting. Daniel's God is worthy of respect. This was no small thing coming from the king of an empire that had conquered conquered Jerusalem and then conquered later the Babylonians. This was no small thing for Darius to proclaim this. There's a lot more that could be said about Daniel's story. His book contains prophecies that are stranger than almost anything else in the book of Scripture. There are more stories in Scripture about the exile and what that was like for the Jewish people. There's a lot more that could be said, but for today, we're at a stopping point. The story is at an end. But what I'd like us to carry forward is that throughout his time in exile and boarding school, throughout the temptation to... Suppress the truth, throughout even being tossed in the pit with lions. Daniel relied on his faith, and God never left his side. May it be true for us as well. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.